The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. And I'm Chris, and this is our special second edition of the patron-only episode. Yes. We are going to tell you a story tonight, um, straight out of Highland, Illinois. When you said that, I was just like, I'm going to tell you a story of how my, how my life got twisted upside down, and I'd like to take a minute just... You guys can see my face right now, you'd be laughing your ass off. <laughs> and, this, like, and just like the first episode, this one's kind of a more of a free... Like a little bit more free talking kind of episode, just because it's just us. It's it's just us and you guys. Like you guys wanted to like you're this our is, VIPs, so yep. you get to see what we really deal with. Right. So we're gonna kind of <laughs> kind of treat this kind of like a live episode, like yeah. one of our Facebook lives, or we'll except we don't get to answer questions. Right. So the story that we're gonna tell you is straight out of Highland, Illinois. Most of you are from the southern Illinois area. If you're not, Highland is a very small town. You're hearing a cat get pissed at a dog. That's what you're hearing. Um, It's a very small town in southern Illinois, um, not far at all from where Chris and I live. And It's like maybe 10 minutes away. It's super super safe. You know, you don't hear about violent crime or anything like that. Um, This is Unsolved in Highland, the Winnet Family Murders. This story is something seriously straight out of a horror movie. Just in time for Halloween. When I read this story, I was like, you got to be kidding me. But it's real. And it's creepy as hell. So let's just get on into it. Are you ready? Yep. So the story starts in 1972 in rural Highland. Now I'm going to make you feel old. 1972 is almost 50 years ago. Well, since I'm gonna be forty in January, I know, yeah, like I, got, I kind of understand. Like, yeah, thanks for making me feel old. People ass. say thirty years ago, and I think of the seventies, not fifty years ago. Right. The Winnett family lived on a farm on Route One Hundred and Sixty, across from what now is Highland High School. Okay. James and Betty managed their farm, and they were really active in the community. James was actually on the board of directors for the Madison County Farm Bureau, and Betty was part of their women's committee, and she was also an avid bowler, and, you know, on a bowling league, I think. Right. um, Very prominent citizens. James and Betty were married on Valentine's Day in 1950. They were parents to four children. By 1972, the oldest two children, son Michael and daughter Patricia, were off in college. Michael was going to the University of Illinois. Patricia was a student at Eastern Illinois University. Sons Robert and Edward were still young teenagers. They were like 14 and 15 years old. Yeah. The family were members of the Evangelical United Church of Christ in Highland. On the evening of January 8th, 1972, James and Betty were dressed in their finest clothing. And when I say their finest clothing, I mean black tie ready. Betty actually had a real fur coat. Really? Yeah. Well, that wasn't that too ridiculous in the 70s. Right. Like, it only became, you know, faux pas to have real fur in, like, the 80s and 90s. And PETA throw some red paint on you. Right. Um, so they were attending a party for the Farm Bureau, and, like, this must have been, like, some party. Um, they left their younger two children at home in the care of, of their grandparents. 
Throughout the night, the boys received multiple phone calls from an unknown person. The boys heard heavy breathing on the other side of the phone before the caller hung up. So this is like long before cell phones. This is long before caller ID or anything. Like this is party line kind of. Yeah. So like, you know, prime time for horror movies right. too. Um, the calls were so creepy and horror movie like that they really kind of made it difficult for the boys to relax. Following the party, James and Betty went to the Powhatan Diner. Do you have you ever been there? It's Powhatan, not Powhatan. Whatever, shut it's up. Powhatan. Have you ever been there? Yes, yeah, the fucking ama- it's amazing food. Twenty-four like, hour it, diner it in Pocahontas. Like, and for people that aren't around this area, like it is literally like the Greasy Spoon Diner, like next to an interstate. Like it is some of the greasiest food, but it tastes so amazing. So they went there for like a late night or early morning, depending on how you look at it, meal. And they left the diner around 4 a.m. So I know. So I'm saying like anybody with parents of four teenagers doesn't usually go out all night. So go Betty and Jim. But this is a a time when like kids could actually be trusted and there wasn't cell phones. Well, grandparents were there too. Right. Around the same time, the boys and their grandparents heard dogs barking nearby, but they didn't really think anything of it. Right. I mean, you're in a farm, like, a farmy kind of town back then, like... Yeah. No one could have predicted what would happen next. So, are you intrigued? I'm very intrigued. About an hour later, the bodies of James and Betty Winnett were found on the side of the road with their vehicle. James was still in the driver's seat of the car and had been shot twice in the back of the head, like execution style. Jesus. Betty was nearby in a ditch, clearly deceased. She had been shot twice in the chest and then in her temple. God, that that just, oh, that sucks. She had scratches and lacerations on her body, indicating there had definitely been a struggle. Three deep cuts to her arm suggested perhaps someone with a hook had hurt her. Really? So police were actually looking for someone with a prosthetic hand or arm. Is that's, that not something out of a damn horror movie? That sounds like Leatherface, like, or... Like, it is, sounds like an urban legend, like the man with the hook. Right, this is some stuff you tell around a campfire. Right, and that's why when I was reading about this, I'm like, whoa... That's creepy. Authorities found a few different witnesses who saw the car on the side of the road very close to the win at home that night. The first was a couple who said they left a nearby party about 4.30 a.m. and they saw the Winnett's vehicle on the side of the road. They stopped, but they heard people arguing inside the vehicle, so they left. So they probably just thought, like, this is a couple who's getting into an argument. We're staying out of it. Right. It's 4.30 in the morning. It's probably somebody had a little bit too much to drink. Or two parties had too much, too much, you know, to drink. Yeah, and so they're, they're just, like, listen here, you son of a bitch. I never loved you and fuck your mother kind of thing. Yeah, so they're like, you know, we're not getting involved in this. Right. We're, we're leaving. A few minutes later, an elderly couple said they drove past and they saw Betty sitting outside the car. And they said as they drove by, she mouthed the words, help. Wow. That is creepy as hell. Right? 
the couple said, you know, they're elderly. They didn't know what was going on, but they knew she needed help, but they didn't feel comfortable stopping. So they went to a nearby house where their son, who was a police officer, was at. And they got him and they drove back to the scene. But by the time they got there, Betty was in the ditch and was dead. That has to be, like, it's not only heartbreaking the way she died, but that has to be heartbreaking for the couple, too. Yes. That, you know, like, you saw her mouth the word help. And in the time that it went took you to go to your son's house and come back, they're dead. Yeah. Like, you, you were, like, oh. That, that would be horrible. Yeah. So, in one of the articles that I read, they said that the police suspected that the perpetrator was hiding behind the car at that time. So, as not to be seen. Police originally, when they got to the scene, they thought maybe this was a murder-suicide. Yeah. But they had to rule that out because there was no gun at the crime scene. Well, it's kind of hard to... You know, execution, shoot yourself in the back of the head. Right. And, And, you know... Shoot yourself in the chest. Betty's body showed signs of a struggle, but James had not. So they thought that he had probably been shot from behind and had no idea it was coming. So, I mean, I wonder where the killer was then. Well, and that was the thing. A lot of people thought maybe he was hiding in the back seat when they left the restaurant. That could be... Again, Urban legend, crazy well, and shit. Like in with the location that Powhatan's is to like seventy or fifty five. I can't remember which one is. Yeah. Like it's possible that like a vagrant, you know, you know, or a hobo came in and like, God, that is some, like this is some urban le- legend shit. Like this right? is one of those like. And ones, this really happened here. Yeah, and like this is one of those like because you always like. Especially women are always told, oh, check the back of your car when you go right. shopping. check your back seat check before back you seat leave. Before, there might before, be a killer back there. Right. And here, like, this could possibly well be, like, where the story fucking started from. With a hook. With a hook. With a fucking hook. Who made calls to the house. It's not the creepiest shit ever. It is. Um, so, not only that, but Jane's wallet was missing, Betty's purse was missing, her fur coat, and her jewelry. So it was a robbery. Yeah. And they said that Betty was known to carry large amounts of cash with her. So they really thought that there was some robbery component to this crime. So, and then that, so at this point, I like, I'm not thinking it's like somebody, like a vagrant, somebody that's not from the town doing this. This has to be somebody. Who knows who them. Who knows them. Yeah. You know, because to hit, like, you would have to know that they were going to be having, like, especially with her carrying large amounts of cash. Like, that's something that, like, is not well known, but right. you know, I'm sure people around there, like people did around there, knew that. So, well, authorities wondered if maybe the couple picked up a hitchhiker on the way home. Could a hitchhiker have robbed them and murdered them? And then they also thought that maybe a former employee of the Winnett family, who was a farmhand, might be responsible. According to the newspapers articles that I read, he had a um, this particular farmhand who they never named by name had a history of mental problems, and he may have been angry at Mr. Winnett. Did he have a hook hand? No. Well, that kind of rules about that, don't it? I guess. Or I guess, I mean, we don't know what caused the lacerations. It's just a possibility. But for the freaking cops to jump to be like, oh, yeah, it was a guy with a hook hand. Like Son of a bitch! I was thinking, like, 1970s. Like, this was even before, like, Halloween and all those scary movies came out. Like, right, this is where urban... Me- like, this is where the urban <laughs> right? myths come to start. 
It's like, holy moly. Um, authorities theorize that he may have sat in the back seat of the Winnett's car and surprised them. Witnesses said they saw the farmhand at the restaurant around the same time as Jamin's and Betty. Jesus. He eventually was given a polygraph test and he passed it. So they ruled him out as a suspect. And I guess this is before they actually, like, polygraphs and stuff like that weren't admissible because they're not reliable. I would assume. Two men from Granite City were also considered suspects. They were brothers, and they were both in jail already for burglary charges. But they also took lie detectors and tests, and they passed them. Did they have hook hands? They didn't, but they were seen at the service station right next to the restaurant early yep. that morning. Police were able to eliminate them as suspects because they passed the polygraph. And there was also a palm print found at the scene that did not match any of the suspects, including the farmhand. Jesus. Right? It's just getting like more and more creepy. The case grows cold. Throughout the years, it remained cold despite several police officers attempting to solve the case. The lead detective in the case had a theory that he eventually shared with the Winnett's oldest son, Michael, but this is still an open investigation. So, 50 it, years later, it's still an open investigation. So, it was just the parents that were murdered. The kid, Like, nothing happened to the kids. Correct. Okay. Just the just I just, Mr. I just and want, Mrs. Wayne. I just wanted to make sure that, like, the creepy phone... I wonder if the creepy phone calls had anything to do with it. They may not have. You know, or if maybe they knew that, you know, the Winnets were going to be out of the house that night. So, some of their friends were like, hey, let's, let's prank call these guys and just go... <sighs> yeah, who knows? You know, like, I mean, because kids are stupid. Right. And they do stupid things. And I could... I could it could 100% not be related. It's just this seems like a freaking I urban mean, legend movie. Right. Like, it's just creepy. Um, so, the suspect that the lead investigator shared with, with Michael Winnett, um, you know, I couldn't find anything that said who he was or anything like that because it's still an open investigation. Nearly 50 years later, this case is still unsolved. But they did say in one article that... Michael Winnett believes that the person whom the investigator told him he believes committed the crime, he has accepted that that person has committed the crime. That person apparently has been in and out of prison his whole life and um, remained in and out of prison after the murders. Um, But the lead detective has now passed away, as have many of the detectives, many witnesses. Um, Michael Winnett, at the time, you know, he was in college... He actually dropped out of college in order to take over the family farm and raise his younger brothers. Well, good on him. Like, I know it doesn't, like, that's not something that you really want to do at that age, but, like, that's awesome that he did that. Yeah. He now apparently works for the post office, or at least one of the new newspaper articles I read, I think it was from 2005, so it's very possible that that's changed since then, well, but it's, it's possible 16 he, years ago. I mean, but, that he could be retired right now. I mean, yeah, definitely. And his younger brother now manages the Winnett family farm. He says that he believes that the the suspect that the detective felt killed his parents is who did, and so he no longer worried about it. This was in the article in 2005. So, I mean, I know he said that that person was in and out of jail 
Like, I wonder if that person is still alive or if that person has passed on. See, and I or, have no idea like because that, they never name a name because it's still an open investigation. Right. So, all these years later, I mean, it seems really unlikely they're ever going to get a conviction. It's right. it, completely possible that whoever did this is already deceased. Right. Um, you, you know, know. It, it, it would. It, I think it would help maybe with closure for the family. But it seems like Mike has already accepted. Like he's gotten the closure he wanted. Yeah. Like from what you said, the the news articles and stuff said that he's accepted that that person was the one that did it, and and they just could never prove it. And they could never prove it. Uh, this crime though, like it gives me the chills. It does. It's it 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 has the all the trappings of an urban legend. Yeah. And, I mean, first you get these odd phone calls that the teenagers who are home alone are receiving. They weren't really home alone. Right. Their grandparents were there. You know, and then you have, you know, that's something straight from a scary, like, scream movie. You know, parents are gone. Now we're getting prank calls. And then you've got this hook for the hand suspect. And then the possibility that the suspect was in the backseat of the car, like, from when they left dinner. To yeah. the point where, and then it goes to the point where you, the old couple found, saw his mom, like the mom. Saying, help me. Like, mouthing, help me. And that's straight from a scary movie. Like, you see a car drive by and you're like, help, help. And, you know, they don't stop and you're like, oh, shit. And then you get chopped up by Leatherface or Michael Myers or right. whoever it is. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I am no way, you know, I'm making these comparisons to scary movies, but like I totally understand that this, this is somebody's real family and this right. actually happened. And I think that's what makes it scarier, right? And more frightening is that, that this it happened, actually happened, and that it happened 15 minutes away from us. Yeah, you know, in a town that we frequently like we we visit. Hell, you pass through it every day for work, every single day. And this, I mean, what's scary about this is that it's not a movie. It's not an, an urban legend. It's not a, a fake story that you tell around a campfire. This is real life. And this happened. This happened right here in our safe little community. And that, to me, is the most chilling part of it all. Yeah. Isn't that not crazy? That, that was very crazy. That's a crazy story. And I'm glad I didn't have any, like, you know, how we, you know, normally I, I get sneak peeks as we're, scrolling through it and reading it but like this like that was a twisty turny story that and it's still unsolved i would love for it to be solved at some point even if the even if the person that did it is dead i would love for them to like to be able to test something now and find like this little tiny piece of dna or you know, I just, I think that well, would be cool to see that that gets solved, you know, but, but then I you gotta, think it's like, unlikely I mean, at this point. Hell, 50 years ago, you know, that's degradation of evidence and stuff too, you know. Yeah, it's like, been there for I, like, half a century. I know we talk about, you know, ODNA evidence, but like there's, that stuff doesn't have a fine, like, it doesn't have an infinite shelf life. There well, is a, and in 1972, they may not have even taken not, that. Like, I know they started taking samples of stuff. You know, long before DNA was available to test it, and that's why you can go back to some of these old crimes. But I don't even know if 1972, I mean, that literally was January of 52, so literally 50 years ago this coming January. Right. It's insane. I just can't believe, like, get me wrong, I know it was 50 years ago, but I can't believe I've never heard of it. Yeah. Especially with us living... It's so close to us. It's right. crazy, 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 crazy. So I know this was a short one, but it was one that I was like, yeah, that's going to be a short one, but that's a must-tell. 
And that's a, and that, I think that's a good one that we give just to these guys. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, like I think this is the kind of content that we want to give to these guys, like the juice, like not juicier ones, but you know, like the ones that actually like kind of creepier and they cool. hit home, right? Like, like give us whoa. the heebie-jeebies. The fuck heebie-jeebies. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, they definitely give us the heebie-jeebies. This story, I don't know. I just keep thinking like. Like Chris said, like sitting around a campfire, and you, you know, these are this is an urban legend story, but it's not a legend, it's a rural truth story. This is the truth of small towns and heinous crimes, creepy shit, creepy shit. Yeah, so thank you guys so much. Um, and we will have another patron only episode for you guys in. Within the next month, um, we're not really sure exactly when, but we're going to try to get two a month to you guys yeah. um, the best that we can. So, but we we appreciate you, patrons. You guys have no idea how much that means to us. You're really yep. helping us to continue to do the podcast and to make it better each and every time. And you know, we have so much fun even with our small group of patrons and the small group that always tune in for our lives. Like, it's amazing. And like we say before, you know, like, we're not getting rich off of this stuff. Everything you guys do helps us just kind of offset the cost of this. And even if we didn't have you guys, we'd still be doing it. But we love that you guys love us enough to support us. Absolutely. So until next time, thanks again, patrons. We love you. Bye, guys.